Hello, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name is Emily. And my name is Cody. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Happy Labor Day! Woo! Did you do anything fun on your day off? Today? No. Today. Yesterday. Did you do anything fun for Labor Day? No. Yes. I had two breakfasts and I slept. Oh, big all girl, day. honey. Big girl. Oh, I know. What did you have for breakfast? Well, I had two bowls of cinnamon checks <laughs> and then I made some tacos. For breakfast? Yeah. Like breakfast tacos. Yeah, but I didn't really feel like making eggs, so I just put cheese on them. Oh, I love that. So what did I do today? I... I didn't ask. Um, I'm sure everybody else wants to know. I woke up. I took two baths today. Oh, I was that's feeling... a low count for you. Well, no, because I like to do these episodes. Like, I read them over mm -hmm. again in the bathtub just to make sure, like, it flows and it sounds like me. Add any flavor. So I took two baths because it's the best time that I can concentrate. I had my bath bombs going, honey. I had some Epsom salt because, baby, this back oh, ruined yeah. me the whole weekend. Thanks for those of you who said get well soon. Um, I am getting well soon. <laughs> it's taking a little bit longer than I thought, but, baby, so I'm a well. survivor. Just not soon. It just is like, what the fuck? How did this happen? Well, I know how it happened, but it's never happened before. And I've rode, like, what, 400 times? I know, but I think thing is as you get a little older i know it just stays longer i know i know so it's like you kind of just like power through it oh i powered through baby one thing about me is i never give up we know <laughs> so um let's get into some business i put a big old lol because no patrons this week <laughs> damn it i thought that the the, the offering of the poetry that I was going to write you personally would set it off. But hey, that's okay. I know we are all financially obligated to other things. So Emily and I, we thought about this and we made a brand new tier for you all. And there's a tier that you can have access to the exclusive episodes for what? One dollar. One dollar make me holla, honey, boo-boo. So if you want to participate in that tier, be my guest. You can upgrade at any moment. Um, so you'll get exclusive episodes, um, something in us from us in the mail. Um, we're also going to be, I don't know if you saw on our um, Instagram, but we are going to be sending these fun Halloween-themed bath bombs to our Patreons oh, where yeah, you stick them in the bath. They're like little pumpkins, and you stick them in, and a surprise comes out. And it's just like there's a, a lot of different options. There's like a spider, like a pumpkin, a ghost, really cute, something to show our appreciation. So um, be expecting those closer Maybe probably in October, yeah. maybe before, who knows. Um, but you'll still be getting the Halloween pins as well. We just got more in today. So you'll be getting those too. And then as always, if you would like a poem or a rap from me, <laughs> sign up for anything higher than the $1 tier and I will be sending those <laughs> to you. Not No hate to the $1 tier because I totally get it. But baby, that's going to take a lot of effort for me to sit down and write these. So I got to make y'all work for it too. Um, and we're going to be uploading a 
Patreon episode today that we recorded last week, and it's about uh, haunting encounters that like police officers and security guards have came right. across. So very creepy, but we'll be uploading that. We might do, there were a lot of stories in that book, so we might do another episode of that. Yeah, we'll probably do like a part two. And then also, you'll be getting two episodes this week, so obviously this one on Tuesday, and then Thursday we have another one of our 30-minute manor mysteries that we'll be uploading it is a really good one one that i know you haven't heard emily um it's called the great alcatraz prison break have you heard of it yes you fucking whore (laughs) you're just saying no i really have oh damn it well y'all probably haven't you've heard of that you can't go to alcatraz unless you kill somebody baby Oh, yeah, that's not in service anymore. Okay, yeah, we can go. Um, last, but not, <laughs> last but not least, we're doing another giveaway. You're thinking of Rikers. I sure am. Yeah. Last but not least, we are doing one more giveaway. Um, we have these cool tumblers with, like, serial killers, and so there's, like, blood on them, and um, they're, like, mugshots and their news articles and stuff. So if you post this on your story, your name will go in into a drawing, and in two weeks we'll draw one out like we did last time, and whoever is in that or whoever we yeah. draw wins. We'll post a picture of it. But also to make it more fun, if you sign up to be a Patreon your name will go in the hat as many times as your tier. So if you sign up for one, you'll get an extra one. If you sign up for the $5 one, you'll get your name in the hat five more times, 20, 20. So, you know. Wait, so if they're already a Patreon. Yes, we'll throw them in there too if they post it. Oh, okay. Unless they're just grandfathered in and we say, "Mm, sorry. (laughs) Well, we were going to do this a really long time ago. We just forgot. Yeah, we did. Alrighty. Well, enough chit-chatting with the yeet yen. I'm going to get into the story today. So are you ready? Yep, now, this one is a fucking whoa, 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 whoa story. Okay, wait, what kind of level like, in I'm regards gonna, to Junko? Not that bad. Probably second to what we've done. Second or third. So Hello Kitty Head? Worse. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to be discussing serial killer Robert Verdella, who is also known as the Kansas City Butcher or The Collector. So Rob, the collector, collector. you'll see why that'll make sense in a minute. So Robert kidnapped, tortured and murdered at least six victims in Kansas City, Missouri, between the years of 1984 to 1987. Once he kidnapped them, he held them in his basement and tortured them in the most heinous ways. Um, So there is going to be mention of sodomy, rape obviously kidnapping, torture, and some not very detailed animal cruelty. So just a heads up. So as always, let's first get into Robert Bedella's life growing up, whether his behavior might, like where it might have stemmed from. I want it to kind of make sense for you, okay? So Robert Bedella Jr. was born in 1949 in a large suburb of Queen Cuyahoga Falls, which is a little south of Cleveland, Ohio. That was a mouthful. His parents, Mary and Robert Sr., were devoted Catholics, and from a very young age, they got Robert involved in the church and urged him to live his life as an ideal Christian. Now, I don't know what that means. I know what it means, but people who, you know, there's a gray area in between there. But all I know is he had strict, strict rules at his home, okay? So Robert's parents were very strict. There was no talking back. You were to listen and obey, and you must attend mass and church regularly. So if Robert didn't abide by any of these rules, his father reminded him with the leather belt. So Robert, being a kid, 
obviously slipped up sometimes and like found himself getting a beaten. So he was constantly walking on eggshells around his father. To everyone else from the outside looking in, they thought Robert was just this ideal child. He was so well-behaved, so well-mannered, but in reality, he was scared shitless of what would come if he were to act out. Well, yeah, because they're using abuse against his right. mistakes that he makes. Yeah, and he's just a young kid. So Robert found himself very alone and usually kept to himself while at home, too. Only child? Uh, at this point. So it was just easier to avoid his father at all costs, right? Okay. So unfortunately, Robert didn't sort uh, find any sort of comfort or support in school either. Mm -hmm. He was a bit of a loner and the kids made fun of him for his appearance. Robert wore thick rimmed glasses starting at the age of five because he was severely nearsighted. Robert also battled a lisp and and had high blood pressure i don't know why that was involved but well, high blood pressure he was like but so nervous about everything yes else. and so he was on a lot of medications for it which i think might have altered his behavior in some way but anyways he was on a lot of medication huge glasses and had a lisp so robert was also considered largely unathletic and that's in quotes well, so I mean, if he can barely see the poor kid. Oh, no. So the kids at school wanted nothing to do with him besides making him like the blunt of all of their jokes. And mom, is she getting abused by dad? No. Okay. So because of that, Robert didn't make any friends and did not have any sort of outside social life because from the church and his family, that's kind of all he had. Right. Okay. So Robert would oftentimes play outside of his home by himself. Robert felt very lonely, but he did not make an effort to change it. He just chose to isolate himself which made him more and more detached as the years went on. Mm -hmm. And because of this, he obviously had a lot of social, like did not develop a lot of social skills growing up. Okay. Um, so when he gets older, you'll see he has some issues kind of opening up to people. So like I said, Robert had a really hard time developing any sort of friendship, which resulted um, in like d damaging his development. So in short, Robert never learned how to even interact socially while at school and outside of school he only had his family and the members of church so when he was at home his parents didn't help bridge the gap either in fact it got worse when his parents gave birth to his baby brother daniel now daniel Berdella was born when robert was seven and despite the kind of a big age difference robert was excited to have a younger brother because he was like yay i get to have a new friend like maybe yeah. this will be the person that you know i could be close with but that wasn't the case at all. Instead, as the boys grew up, they were reportedly constantly put up against each other by their father. So like Daniel was very athletic growing up and it made his father very proud because his father loved sports. Um, Robert was not. So he would like set the two up and make them do like competitions around the house, make them what? like fight, like wrestle and stuff. And uh, Daniel always came out on top. Does it say anything about their relationship with their mom? Um, it's fine, but she's kind of like the person that kind of just like kind of goes with what the father's wanting to do. But we're going to so get in. She's super submissive and meek, I guess. But just we're going to get into her, too. But yes. So Robert was always more quiet of the two. Um, he loved art more than he liked sports. So okay. he was smarter than most of his classmates. But that just ended up making him even more isolated as Daniel became the father's clear favorite. So Robert grew resentful and he never voiced his feelings and instead just kept them harbored up inside, causing him a great deal of anxiety, frustration, and just like turmoil. He knew that if he ever stepped out of line or spoke out of turn, his father would just beat him. 
he was not the favorite. So as Robert got older, it became harder for him to abide by his father's strict standards, not just because of how he acted, but because of who he was. So during his teenage years, Robert reached puberty and he finally came to terms that he is gay. But it was a difficult thing for him to acknowledge because he knew that he could never share the truth with his parents as they were devout Christians and Catholics. He believed that he would never be accepted and they, he was scared that they would even disown him. So the thought of that made him sad. Even though his father treated him horribly, he loved his father. Okay. So he repressed his sexuality or at least tried to the best he could. So in doing so, Robert felt a huge range of emotions, right? He had mm -hmm. resentment for having to hide who he was. He was shameful for not being able, being true to who he was to his parents. And he was uh, in constant fear that someone's going to find out about who he was. He wasn't angry? Um, I don't think at this point he's going to grow angry because he's okay. just now experiencing like what it is to be gay. Um, it's all like social insecurity at this right, point. Right, okay. exactly. So <laughs> he felt entirely out of control and he hated that, right? Okay. He couldn't control the person that he was. Well, I would assume that's super frustrating. Yes. Coming from someone who is gay, it yes. is. So, but life sent him another curveball and it completely destroyed Robert. On Christmas Day, Christmas Day, 1965, the family drove to Canton, Ohio to visit relatives for Christmas. Okay. That evening, Berdella's father, Robert Berdella's father, had a massive heart attack and died at 39 while visiting their uh, relatives that on is. Christmas Day. So 16-year-old Robert was wrecked by this, his father's sudden death. Like I said, he father treated him horribly, but that was his father, and that's who he was closest with, and he loved him. You know, despite their complicated relationship, he loved his father very much, and he didn't know how he was supposed to move on. He was He was just trying to make sense of what was going on in his life right now. So he was met with more confusion by his mother's actions dealing with the death. So here's to answer your questions on how she is. She handled it just fine. Um, so well that his mother remarried just two months after the death of the of her husband. Did she kill him? No. He had a heart attack. But she was fine. Um, Robert couldn't believe it. He was like, how? Like, why? Like, you're not affected by him dying? Like, I, you know, Robert could barely even, like, speak and breathe and the mother's just fine so mm, this is the part was her coping so this is the part where he started to feel anger right towards everything women. because this is all just harboring up on him the sexuality now his father's dying his mother's kind of betraying them as a family so it's okay. just kind of stacking on each other so he refused to acknowledge his new stepfather and couldn't stand his mother at this point he wanted nothing to do with either of them and just kept to himself again. He kept himself entertained by picking up some hobbies such as painting, collecting coins and stamps and writing to foreign pen pals. So Robert would later claim that his hobby of writing to pen pals in countries such as Vietnam and Burma piqued his interest in arts and different antiques from across the world. So the pen pals that he wrote to would send him um, stamps for his collections and then like various like coins to help build up his collection. Okay. And they would send him photographs of mythical and historical icons because, you know, mythical stuff, you can't have that in a Christian household. But they were sending it to him so he could learn and explore. Um, and he was also very fascinated by ancient cultures and architects. So they were sending him postcards of that, too. So he was really starting to develop this passion for art and bizarre antiques, which okay. we're going to get into more later. Okay. So Robert, kind of like in a last ditch effort, he wanted to heal the pain that he was going through. He turned to the Bible. 
hoping that his father's religion might bring him some sort of peace, right? His father was a devout Christian. He thought maybe if he started reading the Bible more, he could feel closer to his father or feel what his father had always wanted in him to film. You know, it's just part of his grieving process. To me, if you're going to explore religion because of another person, that's where the issue is. Right. It shouldn't (laughs) be because of another person. So as Robert read verse after verse and prayed more than ever, nothing was able to ease his mind and his heart. So he became very overwhelmed. And there's nothing about Daniel at this point. No. Cruising through life. Right. Because he's getting older, um, Robert, and he's able to like kind of make, and he's about to move off. Okay. That's what I'm looking for. So Robert thought, you know, maybe if I get a job, it'll help me take my mind off things. So he worked part-time as a cook at a local restaurant so he could make his own money without depending on his mom or his stepfather. So everything was going great for Robert. He loved his job. He was making good money for, you know, being 16. And he seemed to be healing from the death of his father, which is exactly what he wanted, right? But all of that changed when Robert found himself one-on-one with a male coworker in a back room without any witnesses. So the man sexually assaulted Robert. Um, And so just when Robert felt like he was taking a huge step forward in his life, this traumatic event sent him like five steps back. So at first, um, first he was a man and therefore the sexual assaults weren't quote, supposed to happen to him, right? If it was a sexual assault on a man, people didn't really take it yeah. seriously. I mean, they, it's honestly to this day, yeah. you don't hear it. No. And second, he was gay, which he didn't dare admit to anyone, right? So right. he was kind of stuck in this rut, like, what do I do? So because of this, Robert never reported the attack to anybody, not even his family. That is so common though now yeah, that it happens absolutely. to like younger boys with older men. Yep. And it just in Robert thought that he should just push the assault behind him rather than risk coming out as gay. Okay. But because this was he also like embarrassed that it happened to him? Embarrassed that it happened. This coworker also knew that he was gay and took advantage of it. And he was scared okay. that this person would out him and just all like these in a defense would... thing. Like exactly. when he wanted it. You right. asked for it. You're yeah. gay. You totally kind wanted of like this. the whole like uh people especially like in the 80s like you can't be raped by your husband right kind of thing which is bullshit so between the death of this father and the sexual assault robert started spiraling right he stopped attending mass he abandoned religion altogether and he was just mad 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 at the world however and here's where we're going to get to answer your question about the term the collector Robert found a lot of comfort when he went to the movie theaters and watched a 1965 horror film called The Collector. So the plot of the film revolves around a disturbed man who stalks and then abducts a young woman who he finds very attractive. He held her captive in like his windowless stone basement and viewed her as more than or as little as just an attractive specimen. So like would just degrade this woman she's like a doll right so after several weeks the woman died of a contracted illness despite her captors uh, efforts to keep her alive so it was never the plan to kill this person okay he liked the idea that this person had complete control over the situation so he thought and was like torturing her and like anything that she wanted this person had to do and robert was very intrigued by this and this he, is a character in the film in the film yep okay. and this like struck a chord with robert he found himself thinking about this film constantly even dreaming about what it would be like to be in that particular situation okay. he loved the sense of control the man had over his victims because if i mean as you can tell 
to this point, Robert has never had control over anything in his life. And that him watching that guy demand complete control really got his. Any control that's been um, demonstrated to him is violent. Right, exactly. So, so Robert was jealous of this, but he knew at this time that there was no way that he could kidnap somebody. So he was just very intrigued by the film. Okay. So he fantasized what it would be like to commit this act, but he just let those thoughts fade away as he knew there was no way that he could actually carry out these fantasies at this point. Because like he's not athletic, that's why he thinks he can't catch Well, no, someone. I just don't think he can bring himself to do it. Okay, it's like a confidence. Right. He's like, I would do it, but I can't. Like, I'm scared. So instead, Robert just kind of went on with his life, and he tried to change it in in the better way. In 1967, he graduated from high school and moved uh, moved away from his mother and his stepfather, and he made his way west, landing in Kansas City, Missouri, where he enrolled in the Arts Institute. So since a young age, like I said, loved art. So after enrolling in the Art Institute, he thought he might make um, a good art professor one day. He loved the idea of sharing his passions with the other students. Robert's teachers were very impressed by Robert's talent. They found him to be so, um, you know, hardworking, talented, and just very eager to learn. And they were like, you would be the best art teacher. Yes, this is perfect for you. So it appeared that Robert had found his calling and things were going phenomenal. He was now independent. He was making money. He was going to school. He was doing a career and a passion that he had always loved. Like, he's feeling good at this point. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, Robert did find a group of friends, started experimenting with drugs, marijuana, LSD, pain pills, which, of course, distracted him from his studies and his grades started to uh, take a huge decline. So the heavy drug use actually got him into serious trouble in early 1968. So 19-year-old Robert was arrested for selling um, pills to an underage, uh, undercover agent mm-hmm. posting, um, like posing as somebody else. Right. So at the time, he had a $3,000 bond, which is equivalent to $23,000 now. Oh and although he managed to avoid any jail time, he didn't learn his lesson. So less than a month later, he was arrested again, and this time for possession of LSD and marijuana. He spent five days in jail, but was released due to lack of evidence. After that, Robert kept his head down, hoping to avoid more trouble with the law, but that didn't mean his interest in drugs fizzled out by any means, right? So instead, it just shifted. You know how it shifted? He thought, hmm, what if I take these drugs and start experimenting with them on animals? (gasps) and how they would react to it. So Robert was very intrigued by this idea, and he decided that the best place to hold these experiments would be in one of the classrooms. So Robert claimed everything he did was in the name of art. He's like, this is art. Like, you know, this is art. Like, you know, I'm. this isn't something creepy. This is art. So when he started experimenting on the live animals during the classroom, the students were like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, no ma'am to the no ma'am Pam. Like, uh-uh. So in one class, he decapitated a live Stop. duck. A live duck, which is my favorite animal. In another, he uh, strangled and killed a chicken. Robert also injected various uh, sedatives and drugs into a dog, trying to mm. gauge its reactions. Did all of these animals die? die. All three? Dead. So the dog ultimately died and the school board was fucking outraged. They They, didn't care about the duck and the chicken? 
Well, the dog was the last one. So that was like the camel that broke the straw of the back or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> so in December of 1969, in the middle of his junior year, Robert was kicked out of the Institute, which meant he obviously could no longer go to class there, but he no longer had his on, um, on-campus dorm. So um. he was embarrassed and he was furious. He was like, how could they do this to me? This was art. Like, I did not mean anything from it. So he shifted the blame. And he was like, it's not my fault that the school board doesn't understand my type of art. I, how many times are you going to say art? I hate him. I don't like him either. And you're about to really motherfucking hate him. So Robert had no plan, no home, no job. He felt powerless. He hated the world for making him feel that way. Robert didn't seem to have any control on what was happening in his life right now, but he knew, hmm, I think I can change that. He made up his mind. He wouldn't be ashamed or bullied any longer. Moving forward, he would be the one with the power. His dark fantasies of torture and control resurfaced, and he knew what he had to do. Does he have anywhere to live at this point? No, but he will make it happen. Okay. So, eventually, Robert moved to a neighborhood in Kansas City and used his savings to buy a two-story home. At first, he mostly kept to himself. Well, okay, so it had a basement. So is that three stories or two? That's only two. But... Two stories in a basement. At first, he mostly kept to himself, but he'd offer like a friendly smile or a wave at the neighbors. You know, they didn't think anything much of him, right? Okay. But eventually, Robert branched out and got involved in the community. Robert would assist in the organizational activities of the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention in the Neighborhood Association. So kind of like a Night homeowners March. association oh, type okay. of deal. So he became their chairman in the early 1980s, and he encouraged neighborhood watch patrols. So Robert would also represent his neighborhood at fundraising events for local public television stations. Mm So to the neighbors, they all thought he was like this ideal neighbor, like someone who wants to protect the people of the neighborhood, someone who's, you know, quiet, but very nice. Maybe they were sadly mistaken, honey. (laughs) So Robert also started to work on his career using his experience as a cook. So he got a job as a chef. He worked at some respectable um, restaurants around Kansas City and kind of built up this solid reputation. But within a few years, um, he decided, "Mm, I kind of want to take a different turn, right? Because his real uh, passion is art, right? We know. So he wasn't having too much success as a chef. um, But, you know, if he needed it, it paid the bills, right? So at some point in the 1970s, Robert started collecting more art and antiques. At first, it was a way to fulfill his longtime passion, but it eventually evolved into very, a very lucrative side hustle and bought in like really good income. Okay. So in ni- sorry, in 1981, 32-year-old Robert quit his job as a chef altogether and became self-employed like as an art dealer is what he called it. So Robert rented a booth at the Westport Flea Market and called it Bob's Bazaar Bizarre. No. He sold all sorts of antiques, jewelry, occult items, and even shrunken heads from like foreign islands, like those little shrunken heads and like voodoo dolls and shit. Illegal. So he had a bunch of like witchcraft that he would get and like buy at auctions from all over the world. But was he going all over the world? No, I think it was like auctions. He wasn't going anywhere to get them. And he probably traded it or found them at local antique shops. So while Robert's professional life steadied out, his personal life only got rockier. So Finally, feeling at terms with being gay, Robert was openly gay to the public. 
1982, about a year after opening his art business, Robert became very involved in his first serious relationship with the man. Now, there's not much information about his partner other than um, he did have uh, PTSD from fighting in the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. So he was very emotionally and uh, psychologically unstable, which caused a lot of like Turmoil. turmoil within the relationship so he's in his 30s right now um, he's in his first relationship mm-hmm. oh my God. so although the relationship was rocky when it ended it was just another blow to robert's fragile state right robert tried as he might to like push the sadness away but he couldn't escape the thoughts he loved being with somebody robert craved company because he never got it growing up and like mm-hmm. the, for the first time he felt like he could go home to somebody and they had just a great relationship and then poof it was gone. So that's how I feel with little Nikki. A rap with We're not talking about a uh, fucking bestiality. <laughs> so he missed having the sense of love and compassion. Right. So he tried and tried to find his next partner, but he had zero luck because he's not a looker, baby. He's definitely not a me. Mm-hmm. So not only was he socially awkward, and he was like involved in a weird business that a lot of people were like, I don't like, like the shrunken oh, heads and all that. People were yeah. like, uh, I don't like that. <laughs> he was also not very attractive. And I just showed Emily a photo of him and she can agree. Yeah. So when Robert was at his wit ends, he turned to the city's male sex workers. He oh. was like, well, if I can't find somebody to suck it, fuck it. I'm going to find somebody myself. So he wanted to be sexually satisfied. And paying for it was the only a way that he could accomplish sex. No one else wanted him. However, every time he did it, he said he felt very weird. He didn't like the idea of paying for sex and company. He wanted it to be real. Oh, okay. Um, so still, um, Robert's Robert. He seemed determined to justify his actions, right? So he turned to these like young lost men, like these sex workers, these drug addicts, these runaways, mm-hmm. and he took them under his wing. So he tried to inspire them to get their lives back on track, and even let a bunch of them spend the night at his house, like they could just kind of stay okay. there if they needed a place to stay. So he justified him feeling nasty about paying for it by just saying, "I'm trying to help them," you know. Okay. So he invited a lot of the young men to live with him rent-free in exchange for help with housework. But once they were living with him, Robert did start, like, pressuring the young men for sexual favors. And a lot of them were not, they weren't about it. So Robert wanted to control these young men. So his old fantasies were starting to come back up, though. As they were saying no, he was like, whoa, 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 I'm control of this household. I don't like the fact that you just told me no. So... At this point, he's really starting to have thoughts. He wants to dominate them. He wants to torture them. And he wants to keep them captive, just like the person. He wants to punish them for not obeying him. Right. And he wants to act out just like the collector. So those men came in and out of Robert's life. But some of the men made a very lasting impression on Robert. So Robert first met Jerry Howe, who's going to be our first victim of this episode. So Jerry was 14 when they first met. Don't worry, he's not 14 when that happens. So Jerry's father, Paul, had a booth at the Westport Flea Market as well, where Robert worked. Um, So the two were very familiar with each other. Okay. Initially, Jerry Howe and his friends bullied and taunted Robert over his homosexuality Although they later confided in him that they were um, sex workers and male prostitutes is what they called it. Um, So I hate that. They made fun of him, but they are the same thing that they're making fun of him for. So anyways, Robert found this out. And instead of being like mad, like, what the fuck, dude? He was very interested in Jerry. He's like, okay. So by the start of 1984, Jerry was 19 uh, 19 years old. The The two started spending a lot of time together. Intimate time? Not yet. 
Well, not at all. <laughs> no, just like hanging out, having a good old time. So this did not sit well with Jerry's father, though. Like Paul had heard rumors about Robert's relationships with like other young men in the city, and he did not want his son involved with Robert in any way. He openly threatened both Robert and Jerry and like was like, you are not to hang out with each other. I don't care what you do. You're not allowed to hang out. But they didn't care. So Paul was right to be worried about his son, though. So Robert's dark fantasies of overpowering another person were dangerously close to coming to the surface at this point. So he started imagining more and more how he could act on these fantasies with Jerry. So for a while, Jerry was able to give Robert just what he needed. So they began, oh, you're right, sorry. They began some sort of a sexual relationship. However, after a few months, the relationship hit a rock. In early 1984, Jerry got into a bit of legal trouble and asked Robert to help him cover some of the cost. Of course, Robert assumed that Jerry would pay him back, but Jerry had no intention of repaying him. So every time Robert asked Jerry about the money, Jerry would just kind of like deflect the question or like change the subject and be like, oh, you know, like I'm working on it. Hey, let's go to the bar. Let's go do this. Mm -hmm. Let's go do that. So as time went on, it became clear to Robert that Jerry had no intention of paying him back. So Robert was upset. He felt used. He felt abused. He did not like that Jerry seemed to be the one in control of this relationship now, which, as we know, homeboy loves to be in control. So the rage inside Robert became too much to hold back. Robert was not going to let this young boy control him. Like, absolutely fucking not. So Robert was ready to take his power back. So on July 5th, 1984, Robert picked Jerry up so that they could attend a dance competition in a nearby city. Okay. Although there was no tension between the two surrounding like the money at this point, Jerry didn't think Robert as violent like either. So he wasn't worried. He was like, even if, you know, he's upset about it, I don't think of him as a violent person. He was not going to hit me or anything. Okay. So he had never shown signs of being dangerous in the past. So Jerry happily went with uh, Robert. And was Robert at the end of the dance competition was like, hey, you want to come back home? Like, let's hang out. And he was like, sure. So the two smoked. They drank for a couple hours, just like normal. They had always done that. So as the drinks began to flow, Robert approached Jerry and told him, like, hey, I want to have sex. But to Robert's surprise, surprise, Jerry refused. He was like, no, I don't want to. And Robert was pissed. Honey. Are they in public right now? No, they're, at, they're back at the house drinking. And okay. So Robert was like, I went out of the way to help this punk with like money issues. He didn't even pay me back. The least he could do was have sex with me. Like how dare he deny me? But like, they'd already had sex before, right? Yes, but not since the whole money legal thing. issues. So Robert was not going to take no for an answer. So he was determined to get what he wanted one way or another. So when Jerry resisted again, Robert made the decision to drug him. So Robert had a stash of tranquilizers that were used on dogs. And to Robert, this was like the perfect opportunity to try them out on a human. So while Jerry was distracted and looking away, Robert loaded up a syringe and stabbed the needle into Jerry. So within minutes, the young man was knocked out. Robert wasted no time. He stripped Jerry naked and bound him to the bed with, by his arms and legs. After years of pushing his dark fantasies to the side, Robert started to like giggle and laugh. He was like, I finally have my first personal captive. And I'm saying this because he later confesses it, everything and to mm -hmm. detectives. So Robert did things he had only ever dreamed about. So he used household objects to act out his dark desires on the captive by sodomizing Jerry uh, with just random objects that he found throughout the house. Um, he was very fascinated with the amount of pain he could inflict onto him. 
um, he was turned on even by how much fear and helplessness he could inflict on Jerry. Still, despite the intense violence, Robert had no clear intention on killing Jerry. He just okay. wanted him to be like his sex slave. So after about an hour of sexual assault and torture, Jerry started to come out of his drug-induced state and started begging for his freedom. He was like, please, like, what are you doing? Like, let me go. Like, I can pay you back. I'll do whatever you want. Like, please, please, please. Um, but Robert didn't care. He loaded up another syringe and knocked him out once more before resuming the assault. So this continued all through the night. And the next day, Robert had to go to work, so he made sure Jerry was bound to the bed and drugged up before heading out the door to the flea market because he still had to go to work. So I'm going to show Emily a photo right now. If you want to see these photos, I'm going to upload them on Patreon. They are absolutely disturbing. So look, so this is him. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's intense. Wait, and so, show me that again? Well, I'm going to show you. I'll show you What's more. Look, those are syringes. Yeah. So the, the, I'm going to get to it later, but he ends up taking 334 Polaroids of his victims. Yeah. It's insane. Have you seen all of them? No, I've only, I've seen a good majority of them though. And it took me forever to find them. So, um, so Robert got to work, but he could not concentrate. So like with every passing hour, Robert grew more and more excited about thinking what all he had done to Jerry, what all he could do when he gets back home. Um, he couldn't wait to continue the assault on Jerry. So he even closed his shop a little early that day because he was just so excited to get back home. So I imagine he's like walking around with a huge fucking boner. Ew. So when Robert got home, he had new ideas on how to cause Jerry pain. Robert decided to inject Jerry with some more, like, of the substance to really keep him subdued. Robert wanted his victims more, like, docile to make things easier for himself because now he wanted to document the process that he committed. So he had, like, this, like, little notebook that he would write, like, the time, obviously the date, and what, like, for each 10 minutes, what the uh, victim was experiencing so that he could protect his craft if something were to go bad. Oh he also took... Uh, photographs on his Polaroid camera so that he could remember everything and use them at a later time. So unfortunately, though, Robert pushed his torture way too far. And on at 10 p.m. on July 6, um, Jerry's body went limp. So after 28 hours of consistent assault and sedation, his heart stopped and he died. Okay, so he just had him for like a day. Yes. So as soon as Robert realized what happened, he freaked out. He was like, no, 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 no. This was not supposed to happen. Like, what? So panicking, he tried CPR, but it was too late. So Jerry was dead either from choking on his own vomit or overdosing on the tranquilizers. Um, Robert was just distraught that the sad, that this fun has now came to an end. So it didn't take him long, though, to come up with the plan to get rid of Jerry's body. So he dragged Jerry's body down into the basement where he strung him up from the ceiling. Then he grabbed a cooking pot and some Stop. knives from his kitchen. He positioned the pot right under the hanging body and he got to work. Like a man working in a slaughterhouse, Robert made incisions on Jerry's elbows and his jugular vein to drain the blood out of the corpse. He let the body hang there overnight, allowing the blood to collect in a pot. The next evening, Robert returned with a chainsaw. With the body completely drained of blood, Robert went to work dismembering him. He cut uh, into pieces that he could easily fit into small bags, and then he wrapped them with newspapers in like plastic bags and put them in larger trash bags. So the next day, the garbage truck came, 
Robert left the bags on the street to be thrown away. And just like that, no one suspected a thing. That is horrific. Yep. As the garbage truck drove away with the body of Jerry, Robert was sad. He was disappointed. But he's also was like, okay, I just got away with that, I think. Like, I think I'm going to be okay. So all he could think that was like, I need to do it again. Like that, my fun was cut way too short. But then he started to worry. Well, wait, what if I, what if I get caught? Like, what if the garbage bags rip and somebody finds like the, the piece, like I'm going to be tied to Jerry, you know, cause you know, his uh, father, right. Paul knew that they were, you know, hanging out or like maybe a neighbor heard the chainsaw. So like all these questions were going through Robert's head. And he was like, oh, my God, what about Jerry's father? Like, Paul, how knew that we were hanging out? Like, this is yeah. not going to be good. So he was freaking out. So he decided to kind of lay low for a little bit and just not cause a big scene. But he did admit that he would oftentimes review the photos that he took of Jerry and masturbate each time he did. That's disgusting. Um, and this made him feel very ashamed and angry. Like he felt nasty for doing this. I'm like, Oh, you didn't feel nasty for everything else. But the fact that you jizzed on a Polaroid, that's yeah. I would feel bad for all of the above. So slowly, but surely the photos and journal entries were just not enough. And Robert realized he needed the feeling of control back. So he wanted to take another prisoner, but he needed to wait just a little longer for things to kind of, you know, die down. So when it became obvious that his son was missing, Paul was like, um, hi cops, you really need to talk to Robert. I'm telling you, he knows something. Robert is known to have these sexual relationships with young male cell, uh, sex workers. Him and Jerry were friends. They were hanging out like you need to talk to him. So, however, the police were not convinced. They thought that Jerry was simply a runaway, but Paul was relentless. He was like, no, like you have to, you have to, you have to. And finally the police were like, all right, fine, fine, fine. We will go talk to Robert. So Robert was obviously nervous when speaking to the police. Like he worried like somehow he had like slipped up. But in truth, the cops really didn't suspect him of anything. They were just going through the motions to please Jerry's father. That's so sad. they asked him a couple of questions and were like, all right, you're good to go. No, it's not him. Was this like months later or weeks? Uh, this is like weeks later. Okay. So after some brief questions, they let Robert go. And Jerry Howell was just declared a missing person. So like without much evidence and answers, the case was left to go cold. So Robert was like a little shocked. He was like, oh my God, I just really got away with murder. But like the police, he was just overwhelmed because the police just kind of threw Jerry's case in a drawer and just didn't really care yeah, about it. Which is um, really sad. Was he known in um... the community for being a drug addict and a sex worker? Okay. And so, like I said, so Robert realized that the police didn't care too much about the gay male sex workers. So he was like, this is the ideal person that I'm going to keep captive. So with that sense of security, Robert revisited the stash of photos he had taken and that he had like raped and tortured of Jerry and knew that he needed to find somebody else. Right. So um, he knew also that he needed it to last longer than 24 hours, because, again, his purpose is not to kill them. He wants them to be able to do this for as long as possible. OK, so but, but he, then again, he's also never done it and let someone go. And not right. have to like worry. I mean, well, he's you'll, not going to worry. But... I mean, we'll get into that too. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Like, hypothetically, like, aren't these people going to tell on you? No. Well, you'll see. So, so he took some time choosing his next victim almost a year 
after his first murder. So a year goes by. So Robert set his sights on an acquaintance, Robert Sheldon. Uh, so Sheldon was one of the young men Robert took under his wing years prior. Remember okay. when all of them were kind of living at his house? Mm -hmm. He was obviously no longer living with Robert, but every once in a while he showed up drunk and vulnerable on Robert's doorstep. So Robert gave Sheldon... Um, a sense of belonging and some security. And, you know, Sheldon really liked that. So Robert was not physically attracted to Sheldon at all. And he made that known in his confession tapes. But he was like, you know what? I'm not sexually attracted to him. I could make it work. But how would I use him to take all of my anger and frustration out on what happened to Jerry onto, Jeldon, uh, onto Sheldon? The ugly one? So, and he's not ugly. In 1986, 36-year-old Robert invited Sheldon over to his house to drink and get high together. Robert even offered to let Sheldon stay with him for a couple of days. Sheldon didn't really have a consistent place to stay, so he thought this was like the perfect idea. So Robert offered uh, Sheldon plenty of alcohol, food, drugs during his stay. So it was like a hit. So the first night together went by like for a and like a blur. Robert didn't make his move, so he wanted to wait for like the perfect opportunity. So the next night he mixed up a concoction of heavy sedatives in his drink. And when Robert offered um, the special mixture to Sheldon, the young man was like, oh yeah, thank you so much. And he drank it. So it didn't take long before Sheldon passed out and Robert knew it was go time and quickly got to work. So he carried his new prisoner up to the bedroom where he stripped him naked and tied his legs together just like he did with Jerry. At last, Robert had a second victim. Throughout the rest of the night, Robert repeatedly raped his uh, captive. When Robert got tired, he just continued the assault by just shoving objects into his anus um, just to violate and sodomize like, like sticks and bats and all sorts of crazy shit. Um, oh as the night continued on, Robert wanted to see how much pain he could inflict on him, not just sexually. Um, so he expanded his torture me methods. So he was like, hmm, what can I do? To like kind of take it up a notch, right? Well, that first picture you showed me, he has clamps like, on him on like the side of his arm. And oh, stuff. The, that's the um, sedatives. Oh, I thought in one it looked like he had like pliers sticking. No, that his was arm. like the sedative. So Robert thought, what could I do next? So his sadistic curiosity led to a horrific decision. He decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to attempt to blind Sheldon. So with this idea, Robert left the room to grab some liquid drain cleaner from the bathroom. When he returned, he saw that Sheldon was like coming out of his sedated state. So panicked, Robert raced over, dipped it, a cotton swab into the cleaner and placed it onto Sheldon's eye, left eye. So immediately Sheldon screamed in agony and this like burnt a hole through his I fucking face. I was going to say, but it's this, to clean clogs in a drain. Right. And this excited Robert so much. So he was like smiling from ear to ear. Ew. He wanted it to keep going for as long as possible. Do so, not show me a picture of this man's eyes. Oh, I am. Oh! Horrible. Okay. So then he was like, you know what? What else can I do? So he gets a caulking gun, you know, like Stop. that you fill in holes. Yeah. And he filled Sheldon's ears with it and told him that he didn't need to hear anything else moving forward. So basically he's like, like he's partially blind. Senses away. He's partially blind and he can't hear anything. So Robert knew that the louder Sheldon screamed, the more likely that a nosy neighbor would come curiously knocking on his door. So he put something in his mouth now. No. So even though he was like, would have preferred his victim to remain conscious and alert, he just put more of the sedative in his body so that he would pass out and stop screaming. Um, 
And then he kind of abandoned the attempt to blind him. He only did it in that one eye. But Well, he was bleeding out of both eyes in that picture. But he wasn't fully blind. So instead, he moved over to other physical torture. So he started poking needles underneath his fingertips to pry the nail Stop. off. He did electrocution to him by, like, putting all sorts of electrical, um, sort like, electric circuits all through his body so this assault continued for days so as robert became more and more creative with his torture methods he began to see a sexual enjoyment in it like by inflicting pain so he felt a sense of control um and when he had his victim at his mercy he felt the most satisfied Okay. So Robert would have been happy to keep um, this up for the foreseeable future. But on April 15th, five days after he took Sheldon captive, there was a problem. Robert came home to find a handyman working on oh. his roof. So he was there to trim the trees. It was like a routine mm -hmm. thing that um, Robert had booked but kind of forgot about it. So he panicked. He was like, shit, shit, shit. He was like, okay, I could go inside and sedate Sheldon again and hope the handyman doesn't hear anything or I could just get rid of Sheldon entirely and not have to worry about it. So he picked the death option and he went up upstairs, wrapped a trash bag around Sheldon's neck and suffocated him. I thought he was in the basement. I don't know why. Well, he actually, good question. He moves them around. Oh. Like cause to the bed or to the basement, depending on where and how good they act is where they can go inside the house. And we'll get into that later, too. Oh. So it was a quiet death. And just as Robert had hoped and the handyman did not suspect a thing. So when the workman left, Robert went into the cleanup mode, just like he did with Jerry Howell. And he dismembered him and drained him and did the same process as it's before. It's literally, I think that's what people do to like hunt. Yep. So... But this one was different. So he took the body and he, you know, dismembered him, did all that. But he he want, he really enjoyed his time with Sheldon. So you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to keep a little souvenir. So he decided that he was going to decapitate Sheldon's head and just bury it and keep it in his backyard. Okay. So he took Sheldon's head and buried it in his backyard. I don't know why it needs to be in the backyard or buried, but that's what he wanted. Kind of like a little keepsake. So with this confidence, Robert was like, you know what? I'm getting away with it. Let's go find another one. So he didn't have to wait long for the perfect opportunity to present itself. In June 1985, just two months after killing Sheldon, Robert hired 20-year-old Mark Wallace to do some gardening around his home. Okay. Robert liked to sit in his house and watch Mark work outside, waiting for the perfect moment to take him captive. So he had his eyes set on him. He was like, that's the one. The way he digs up them, the way he digs up them tulips got me real going. So, Why is he digging up the tulips? Well, he's planting them. So one evening during a summer storm, Robert awoke to the sound of his dogs barking. Robert when he has dogs? Yes. When he went outside to investigate what the fuck was going on and like what got they them. They dug up the damn head. <laughs> no. Once, uh, so he went outside and he was like, what's going on? What's going on? He noticed that Mark was hiding in his shed, um, like, like crouched on and hiding in the corner. And he was like, I'm sorry. I had nowhere else to go. It's storming and I don't have a house. So. I would have freaked out. So Robert was like, what are you doing here? I'll okay like you feel free to come inside like oh, let's the get... murderer is scared like he was worried so he was like oh come on inside let's get you dry and he was like you know what this is the perfect opportunity he was like i have plenty of room feel free to stay as long as you want like come on so 
Of course, Mark jumped at the chance. So the two cracked open a beer. The two talked throughout the night. Robert discovered that, you know, as a young gardener, he didn't really have a place to stay. He was so depressed. He was dealing with anxiety from not having steady income. Mm -hmm. He was just very, 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 very anxiety driven. So Robert offered a few words of advice and support and offered Mark another drink. And he's like, I have the perfect thing to ease your mind. Just take this and you're going to feel so relaxed. You're going to feel calm. So he gave him, ended up giving him like a, a pill that would knock him out into his drink. A sedative. Yeah. So he lost consciousness almost instantly. Did so, he like, give it to him like in that form? Like, here's a pill to make you. Yes. Or did he trick him? No, he told him like, oh, this is going to make okay. you feel at ease. I take this anytime, you know, I'm feeling down about anything like you'll, it'll be good for you. So like his two prior victims, Robert tortured and raped Mark long into the night. He experimented on the man, finding all sorts of new and cruel ways to inflict pain. He continued with sodomy and applied alligator clips to his <gasps> nipples and his body to facilitate electric shock throughout his entire body. And like in in the picture you can see that he's like literally gasping like what the fuck like bound by piano wires. Oh my god. Um yeah, just absolutely horrible. And like look at his face in this photo, just so sad. Oh my god, is that the last one? No. <laughs> So Robert also inserted hypodermic needles into his muscles. Mm. Do you know what those are? So basically it has like another drug inside them mm -hmm. and it just permanently, that's why you see those sticking out in the photo. Yeah. So anytime he starts to come to, it sends more. So oh. by the next night, Mark was dead. Robert later told police that Mark Wallace died through a combination of the drugs. And this is what he wrote in his like notebook. He put the drugs, the gag, and the lack of oxygen so Robert was upset. He was like, what? Like, so he suffocated, basically. Right. And like the heart was like slowing down due to the um, sedatives. Like it was just a combination of a, a shit ton. Oh, but so the gag as the well. Quick, He died the quickest then. Yes, exactly. So Robert disposed of his body too in his unusual way. And just as he expected, no one came looking for Mark either. So he just threw him in the trash. Yes. Okay. Um, so he was in the clear to look for his next victim. But so he didn't save any part of him. No. Only number two. No, but he's going to save somebody else's oh part. So for the next couple of months, Robert took time scouting. No, not his dick. Robert took his time scouting for his next target. In the meantime, he continued to work at the flea market. Mm -hmm. So at some point during the period, Robert started dealing drugs to supplement his income as a bonus. Okay, so he's got like a two-story house. Right. So this line of work introduced him to more desperate and vulnerable people, just like he wanted. So near the end of September 1985, somebody walked right into Robert's hands. A 25-year-old named Walter Ferris called up Robert and was like, hey, a couple of us are going to the gay bar to get some drinks. Do you want to join? So James was a regular drug user and Robert had sold to him in the past. So he fit his preferred victim profile to a T. So with that, Robert finally or happily went with this group to the bar to have drinks. So later... He, the guy asked, hey, like, can I stay the night with you? And Robert was like, sure, yeah, just stay for a couple, like a couple of nights. So when Robert was presented with this opportunity and the guys were like willing to, or the guy was willing to stay the night, he was like, absolutely, yeah, it just fell into my lap. I had to act on it. I'm just surprised that these guys who are coming from the same. I haven't heard about it. So they're about to. Okay. So as soon as Ferris got back into his house, Robert wasted no time at all and began his torture methods. By this point, he knew exactly what he wanted to do or what to do. Drug his victim, bind him to the bed, 
and then he was free to begin the assault. And you can see in the photos, these guys are pretty muscular. Like, they look like they could take somebody. I know. So for approximately 27 hours straight, Robert had his way with Ferris. The torture included repeated administering of 7,700 volt electrical shocks to the shoulder and testicles for five minutes each. (gasps) Yeah. And acupuncture via hypodermic needles to his neck and all over his genitals. Um, Ferris gradually became delirious, but Bradella continued his physical and sexual assault on him. So he was getting it horrible at this point. It's strange that he's being more violent with them when he's mad that they die sooner. Sooner. Yep. But it's like. So Robert noted in his log that Ferris was, quote, unable to sit up more than 10 seconds. And the next entry read, very delayed breathing, slow. And then finally, Bordella or Robert noted that Ferris died with the slang word he had used in his career as a chef. So 86 is what he wrote down, which uh, Robert later explained meant anything from throw it out to stop the project or like abandon it. So 86 was his way of saying like the project has ended. Yeah, like when you 86 the mayonnaise on a burger or something. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's like an old diner. Oh, because you're a chef. Okay. Well, I never said that shit. I was wondering why you were like, about 86. And I was like, what the fuck? Does she know what that means? I was trained in French cooking, not. So does that make sense? So 86? Okay. So Robert knew he needed to improve his methods. He didn't want anyone for just one night. So he wanted someone like his goal, Emily, was to have them for like months on end. And it wasn't working. They're literally dying quicker each time. So word spread through the sex worker community that Robert was someone to be very wary of. They started saying like, look, you need to be careful of Robert Vidella. Whatever you do, do not get in a car with him. Don't go to his house. If you need drugs that bad, we have other ways to yeah, get it. Like people aren't coming back. Right. But... They're like, just don't, don't do it. Like, and tell everybody that you know. So their fear was based solely on rumors, but they were had every right to be afraid or at least to be, you know, cautious. So yeah. many of them had actually known Jerry Howell, and people were sure that Robert was the last person to see them alive, which is their main evidence that Robert had something to do with it. So while the rumor circulated, Robert laid low because he got word of it too. And he was not able to find his victim for quite some time. It took almost a year, but Robert found 25-year-old Todd Stoops. So Todd Stoops was a 23-year-old drug addict and a prostitute who, alongside his wife, had twice wife. I know I had to read that. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. But again, he was just trying to make ends meet and was doing what he had to do so he resulted to sex work just to help the family um and they the wife and him had actually uh lived in Berdella's house in 1984 like he took them in was like hey like you know i can take care of you yeah him and his wife but they didn't have kids then no so after todd and his wife moved out of robert's home the second time Berdella did not see him again until an encounter at kansas city library or Liberty Memorial Park on June 17th, 1986. Because he was like kind of out of that world for a little bit. So maybe that's why you didn't hear about him. Yep. And then they kind of stumbled, they stumbled across each other at the park and kind of, oh, hey, like what's going on? So Robert invited him to his house to have some lunch so they could catch up. And with an added incentive of sex, as Stoops uh, told him, like, hey, I just need $13 for drugs. Like, can you loan it to me? And he was like, I can just give it to you if you ha- agree to have sex with me, like with old times. So I looked it up. $13 uh, then is like $33 now. So his, like it costs 33 bucks for him to give him a blowjob. Yeah. For some drugs. 
So Todd didn't think anything of it and gladly went with Robert to his house. Robert was careful with Todd, though. So once sedated, Robert took his time with Todd. After the first day, using his diary and old Polaroids for reference, Robert measured out the violent torment to keep his latest captive as long as possible. So he was like studying his notes, like, okay, this is what went wrong on the last one. This is how I need to correct it on this one. Like he was trying to become a pro. So Robert drugged, tortured, and assaulted Todd for two whole weeks. Okay. Robert used electrical shocks. Uh, through Stoops, uh, his closed eyes in an attempt to blind him. So this time he's what sending electrical shots through his eyes and injected drain cleaner into his larynx to try to silence his voice. So now he wanted to get rid of oh I know. So, okay, brace yourself for this. On June 27th, Robert ruptured Todd's anal wall while fisting him causing bleeding and explosive discharge is what it said. So Holy towards shit. the end of Todd's captivity, he tried to feed his captive ice cream and soup. Although Robert wrote in his journal, wasn't able to keep anything down. So he tried to give him soup and um, ice cream, but the victim wasn't able to keep okay. it. He probably at this point wanted to just fucking die. So by the final day of captivity, Todd was so weak, Robert later stater, stated that he had been unable to, quote, breathe in a sitting position. Yeah, I'm wondering after he did that, is he like laying on his back? I think so. So on June, on July 1st, 1986, um, he died from his injuries. So a forensic pathologist later testified that the ruptured anal wall caused severe septic shock, which proved fatal. Yeah, you can't eat. No. And here's a photo of him. Oh, my God. Okay. Wait, he looks like the other guy you showed me. Yeah, I think they're all starting to look alike. And it's black and white. So, so horrible, horrible, horrible. So although Robert found himself disposing of another body, he was very pleased with how long he made the torture last. He knew that this was a learning process and he was only going to get better and better. How do you think this man's house smells? Like, don't, okay. <laughs> so another year passed before Robert settled on his next victim, 20-year-old Larry Pearson. This casual friendship began when Pearson entered his shop and explained to Robert that as a child, he had a very big interest in witchcraft and wizardry, which okay. was like all that his flea market was or his store was. So Robert and Larry were only casual friends. But in the summer of 1987, Larry called up Robert and was like, hey, man, like, could you please bail me out of jail? Like, I promise I'll pay you back. I owe you. I'll do whatever you need. So Why do people think he has so much money? money. I think it's just these like drug addicts, the sex, and they know that he'll give them what whatever they want. Okay. So seeing an opportunity, Robert paid the bail and told Larry, "Look, you need to come stay with me for a while. We need to get you out of trouble. I have plenty of room. Like stay with me." And Larry was like, "Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much." So Robert decided to actually leave Larry alone for a few weeks. Didn't touch him. Didn't do anything. Just let him live there, mm -hmm. eat cook whatever so robert knew that there was a paper trail though so that's why he waited so if he up and vanished it would be too easy for them to trace that he had just like paid his bail like by going to the place like mm -hmm. you know people would catch on to that so he was like you know what i'm gonna just lay low so by the end of june 1987 he couldn't resist and he was time to make his move baby but it was just too tempting. Like he was like, I gotta do it. I gotta do it. So he drugged Larry and went down the same path that he had with all of his previous captives. This is number five. 
That evening, Robert ensured Larry became very drunk before injecting him with chloropromazin and moving him down to the basement where he bound Larry's head above his head. Wait, chloropromazin. So C H L R O or C H L O R P R O M A Z I N E. I don't think that's how you pronounce it. It's like clozapam or something. That's an anti-anxiety medication. Oh, maybe that's what you take. <laughs> that's what you take. That's what you take. Clozap- yeah, that's that's an anti-anxiety medication. This is like a dog sedative. I so like, I hope you don't take that. So he moved him down to the basement and he bound Larry's hands above his head. Robert then tied the rope to a brick column before injecting Pearson's larynx with the drain cleaner again. So then he brought down an electrical transformer to the basement, so like a big fucking generator. So according to Robert, Larry was by far the most cooperative of his six victims. Robert later told investigators that he told Larry and his other victims, quote, you did not choose to be here, but you are. For you to survive being here and for you to, you know, make it, it could either be rough or it could be easy. You pick. If I grow to like you and to trust you, then I could do special things for you, such as buy you cigarettes, pick up a movie on the way home from work, and so forth. Don't try to fight me or you'll just get more of what you had earlier. You see, what you got is nothing compared to what you can have. But see, he's an idiot because all of his note-taking anything, none of it has any... Him even referring back to it has no control over when they die. They're just dying by chance. It has right. nothing. He's not in control of when they die. Die. Don't die. No, and, but he thinks he is. So Larry actually listened and he did what he could to please Robert. So he wanted to survive. Like he wanted to survive and he knew. Let me just like, you know. Play along. Play along and just be here for the ride. So on the fifth day of his captivity, having by this stage not only endured torture such as repeated administration of electrical shocks with the transformer, but Robert also broke all all the bones in Larry's hands with an iron rod to render him to be submissive. So Robert thought Larry had earned his trust. Therefore, as a form of reward, Robert informed Larry that if he continued to cooperate, that he would not continue to inflict as much pain upon him as he had done in the past. Robert also moved Larry to a much more comfortable area in the house, which was like his bedroom. How comfortable when your arms are broken. Yeah. So with his ability to keep his victims longer, Robert's desires began to shift a bit. So he wanted a captive who was not bound and gagged. He wanted a captive to just obey him, right? Just to be free to walk around the house, Mm -hmm. someone to be submissive without the sedatives, though. So he wanted them alert. He wanted them. That's called a boyfriend when you're not so fucking weird. (laughs) Right. And you could do BDSM with them, whatever the fuck you want. So he wanted them alert and conscious of what was going on. So Robert decided to experiment on Larry. So Robert told Larry, look, I promise you, if you obey what I ask of you, you will be rewarded. Although he was terrified, Larry was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. And you he has say. no way of fighting back. Right. He's like, okay, okay, I'll do what you say. So Larry did not fight back when Robert assaulted him. He took it and he did what he was asked. But then Robert uh, took it a step further and told Larry, from now on, you need to call me Master Bob. <laughs> Okay. And Larry, keeping his word, did just as he was told. So things progressed to the point where the two even were eating meals together and watched movies together. How, How are his arms working? 
the hands aren't working, but the arms are. So I don't know. So this was going exactly the way Robert had imagined it. He was pleased that Larry had finally submitted to his will and the worry of Larry escaping just ease. He was like, oh, he's not going anywhere. So as part of his duties, Larry was told to perform oral sex on Robert daily, whenever he wanted, wherever he wanted it. So one night in How early- How does he hold it? He doesn't have- Maybe he held it for him. Quit focusing on the fucking hands. That's the least of the fucking worries. <laughs> Just coming from- It's almost been a year since I broke my arm. And I had pain medication. But like, if I wouldn't have moved it back, it would have been so- He probably up. just stuck the bitch in his mouth and went to town. I don't know. Or he held it for him. So as part of the- Okay, like I said, performed oral sex on Robert Daly. So one night in early August, Larry couldn't take it any longer. He had been Robert's prisoner for over a month at this point, and he wanted out. So while Larry was performing oral sex, he bit down on Larry's penis- <laughs> and like almost severed it. So Robert cried out in excruciating pain and he grabbed the closest thing to him, which was this large wooden stick and beat Larry senseless. So Robert beat him so hard that Larry lied unconscious on the floor and Robert was worried about his injuries. So he like ran to the hospital and was like, my dick is falling off. <laughs> so he gets to the hospital. The doctor stitched up his wounds and ordered Robert to stay the night. So I must have been severe. <laughs> so Robert knew, though, that he couldn't leave Larry alone for an entire night. So Robert told the doctor, like, I can't. I have a dog that can't be left alone. I need to go back home. Like, let me just go home, feed it, and then I can return. So when Robert got home, Larry was slowly coming out of con or coming to but Robert was done with Larry at this point. He wanted nothing to do with him and considered him oh, yeah. a disobedient waste of fucking time. So Robert grabbed the black trash bag and suffocated Larry. So as soon as he was dead, Robert went back to the hospital as if everything was perfectly normal. Two days later, Robert returned home to deal with Larry's body. So he just left him there dead for two days. In the process of disposing of him, he decided that he wanted another souvenir. So that afternoon, Robert went out into the backyard and dug up Robert Sheldon's head. Mm. At this point, it had been two years since Robert buried it. So it was now it was just a skull. So he replaced it with Larry's freshly decapitated head and then filled the hole back up with dirt. That's a little strange. What part? Like that he could only keep one in that area. I know, right? I don't like, know. Like, what did he do with the skull? So he took Sheldon's skull and placed it in his room on display for him to look back at it and remember what he'd done. So in his investigations, he kept calling it my gallery room, like where he had all of his like weird antiques. He just added that to his collection. So at this point, Robert had now kidnapped and tortured, kidnapped, tortured, and killed six. So Robert had no intention, though, of slowing down. I mean, like, he does, he must not have company. No, no, baby. The company that he does have gets the chop. So by spring of 1988, 39-year-old Robert was growing overconfident in his abilities and no longer felt any need to be patient. He wanted to find his next victim. Like, why would he not be worried? He literally got away with six murders. So we went out on the town searching for his next victim. So Robert came across 22-year-old sex worker Chris Bryson. Like his previous victims, Robert lured Chris to his house by pretending to be a John who just wanted some sex. Yeah. So Chris went back to Robert's place to have some fun, get paid, maybe do some drugs here and there, whatever you know they decided to do. But once inside Robert's home, things took the same dark turn. Robert wasted no time and hit Chris over the head with an iron pipe. 
Once helpless on the ground, Robert injected him with the tranquilizers and watched them take effect. As soon as Chris was unconscious, Robert stripped him naked, bound him to the bed, and assaulted him. Robert then repeatedly swapped his eyes with ammonia before whispering to him, and this is, quote, the only thing you need to think about are you, me, and this house. Okay. The eyes. The eyes, mama. So at some point in the next few days during a break between, like, the torture sessions, Chris asked Robert to tie him up differently in a different position. Like, he was like, oh, my God, my arm's hurting. Like, I can't feel them. Like. Can you at least tie them there? At this point, they're over his head. And he was like, can you just tie them somewhere oh God, else? They would be like asleep. Right. So strangely enough, Robert agreed to tying Chris's head, uh, hands and feet in front of him as um, as opposed to um, over his head and his feet yeah. just were wherever. So, but Chris is smart. He wasn't actually in pain. Although his new position was much more comfortable, he was up to something. So in this new position, Chris was like, I can wiggle out of the restraints if given an opportunity. So nearly five days into this horror, Chris couldn't take it any longer. On April 2nd, as soon as Robert left for work at the flea market, the 22-year-old started to get to work, like, shimming out of his restraints. So... He managed to get his arms out of the ropes, but couldn't undo the ties around his ankles. But luckily, there was a set of matches nearby, so Chris just burned the rope until he was set free. Chris scrambled up naked except for the dog collar that was around his neck, so he didn't waste any time by going downstairs. He just jumped straight out of the window, pushing it open. So he jumped from the second story but broke his foot as he landed on the ground. Um, So he hit the ground, but his adrenaline was going so fast, he ran to the neighbor's house. And luckily, somebody was passing by in their car and heard Chris scream for help and was like, oh, my God, come here, come here, come here, come here. So they got him into the house and they called the police and Chris had made it out alive. So later that morning, Robert arrived home to find the police waiting for him right outside of his door. And he's like, oh, fuck. But he refused to let them inside his house. So they just went back to the station, got a search warrant, and he had no choice but to let the police in. So but does he think that he's there at that point? What? Oh, yeah. No, he doesn't know that he's gone. Okay. So inside, investigators were shocked at what they found. So they uncovered 334 Polaroid photos, as well as Robert's detailed diary. <laughs> that <laughs> Sorry, my throat made a noise. So they uncovered 334 Polaroid photos, as well as Robert's detailed diary that documented every single sadistic act he performed on his captives. The search also uncovered several human vertebrae um, that were scarred by both hacksaw and knife marks that were just laying in the hallway. Also, several human teeth were found in two separate envelopes. So both a hacksaw and a meter saw were both discovered in the basement of the property, and the chainsaw was found to be soiled with bloodstains, flesh, and pubic hair. So luminol tests were done to reveal that the floor of the Berdella's Robert Berdella's basement um, and two plastic trash bags were extensively bloodstained from multiple mm-hmm. people. So over the next few days, the cops tore that fucking house apart. In the process, they discovered Sheldon's skull on display, and later they found Larry's buried head, buried head in the backyard. So the two undiscovered skulls were certainly suspicious, but at some point, they weren't able to say that this was like evidence that he was a murderer they just considered it circumstantial evidence 
So when Robert was arrested, he wasn't arrested for murder at first. He was only charged with sodomy, felonious restraint, and first-degree assault. So fortunately... But with the blood? I know. But they needed, like, hardcore fucking evidence. So. Um. So fortunately, it was enough to convince the judge that Robert should stay behind bars while the police continued to gather more evidence. So later, like when they looked through the the diary and read it and it Mm -hmm. said like when they died and all that stuff, it later. I wonder, too, if like those people were like they weren't being really looked for, I guess. I know. Exactly. So. Yeah, so they looked through all of the the diaries. They were able to conclude that, no, he fucking definitely did this. So Robert stayed in prison until July 1988 when he finally was able to face the grand jury. So they indicted him for the murder of Larry Pearson, whose head police had found buried in Robert's backyard. A couple of weeks later, Robert announced that he would be cooperative with authorities to avoid the death penalty at any cost. So he pled guilty to Larry's murder. However, in September 1988, a grand jury indicted Robert again, this time for the murder of Robert Shelton. Then, uh, so by then, police had identified the skull that mm-hmm. had uh, that was in Robert's shelf by using uh, dental records. Okay. So although the death penalty was now on the table, Robert was, like, not ready to give up control of the situation, and he was, like, kind of running out of cards to play, right? <sighs> So he instructed his attorney cut a deal in exchange for a life sentence in prison. So Robert said that he would confess to every single thing. He had nothing to hide and he would do it. So not surprisingly, Robert enjoyed his confession. So it seems that reliving his actions, the moments he drugged his captives, tied them up, tortured them, was almost as satisfying as the acts themselves. So Robert informed investigators that there were occasions during the final three victims' periods of captivity when he eased making additions to his abuse logs because he assumed that the victim would, quote, not be able to make it much longer. Um, They also said that while he's giving these testimonies, he's very visibly aroused if you know what i mean ew (laughs) so once again robert was in control of the situation and he liked it so after his confession robert was sent to the state penitentiary in jefferson city missouri to start serving his life sentence but robert just couldn't let go of the situation so as time went on robert grew more and more obsessed with the image that the media had given him to the public so he hated that the media had painted him in this horrible light and that they were calling him nicknames like the collector and the butcher and he was like that's not what it was like i just cannot believe it so in january of 1989 robert did an interview with a local tv channel in an attempt to like save his image so he ran and that the police just mistreated him and that the media was just horrible to him and they just not did not treat him right. And it was just a big misunderstanding. But literally nobody was buying the sob story and everyone considered him just a fucking monster. So kind of to wrap this up, at 2 p.m. on October 8th, 1982, Verdella complained to the prison staff of heart pains. 82? 1992, I'm sorry. Thank oh. you. Berdella complained to the prison staff of heart pains and was taken from his cell to the prison hospital. So medical staff there determined that his heart was unstable and called for an ambulance. So Robert was taken to the hospital in Columbia, Missouri, where he was pronounced dead from a heart attack at 3.55 p.m. He was only 43 years old. Wow. So shortly after, the judge at his trial, Alvin Randolph, was informed of Robert's death in response. Like, they were like, oh, my God, he died. And, and Alvin sar- sarcastically remarked, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. 
<laughs> so that concludes our story of Robert Berdella, aka the Kansas City Butcher. Up 